I just left my phone with Becky because um, Rachel went home because she was, you know, not feeling great. Nine months pregnant is tough. Um, but if if you see something, then I need to run out. Well, I'll be moving pretty quick, so you might want to get a good start. Uh, so. Um, when I was in high school, I was not, I repeat, not very good at basketball. Um, the reason I was not very good at basketball uh, was that I was scared to death I was going to make a mistake. Um, for some reason, it just got in my head. You know, if I, we went and played out on the streets and it didn't matter, I was okay. I did pretty well. But for some reason, when the coach was watching and I thought he might get frustrated with me or get upset, I just, I just didn't, it got in my head, I got the, what they call the yips, um, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it, and I was afraid if I was going to shoot, I was afraid I was going to miss, and if I was going to, I just, I was afraid. Um, now I've, I realize you just, you're going to miss, actually most of the time, you're going to miss, Statist- the best players on the planet miss. Most of the time. Um, and so you might as well shoot. Um, might as well put it up and see what happens. Um, you might as well drive in and see what happens, you know. And so sometimes you're just, you got to get over the fear of messing up because you're going to mess up. And I, um, sometimes I don't think I'm talking loud enough when I can hear the kids in the back shouting need to get louder. Um, but they need to hear me, not me hearing them, right? Children are supposed to be heard and not seen. Is that how it goes? <laughs> I, I, I have... I think sometimes we feel this way in our walk with, with God. Is, is we come to church and we dress... We dress... We, we wear a, a nice shirt. You can't wear a wrinkled shirt, right? And so... You, you, you want to look your best, and you want to be presentable, and you want, you want people to see you at church. Have you ever not gone to church? And, or I'm assuming you haven't. Um, there, we're assuming that you had. There have been times where you didn't go to church, but you woke up Sunday, you woke up late, maybe you had a late, late night Saturday, woke up, you have no food at the house. So the family gets on, it's in the summer, you get on your shorts and your t-shirts and your flip-flops and you walk out the door and you go to a restaurant and all the church people turn and look at you. They can tell you're not one of them. I used to do this a lot, I would actually, uh, I would preach. Our house was right next door to the church where we lived in Texas, I'd preach go to the house, I would change clothes, and then we'd go out to eat. I would, I would be casual, look like I'd slept in that morning. By that time, the girls had messed up my hair. And I'd go in, and people would just give me the look of disgust. That, he must have been sinning this morning. They think, that, but... When, when, we, when we feel that guilt from other people, sometimes it feels real. 
What do they say? You're supposed to get it right every week, every day. You're supposed to look the part. And when you don't look the part, sometimes people think ill of you. Yeah. Now, when we, when we don't look it, we might think, well, my people might think bad of me. But what if you're bad? What if I'm bad? What if I am not who I've always claimed to be? What if you're not who you've always claimed to be? What if we're not the, the shirt and tie and slacks and dress shoes sort of people that we claim we are? I would argue that we're not all the time. I would argue that we don't have it all together. And that when we dress up or we come to church and we have this moment of, well, everything's great. But what if everything's not great? Everything's fine. What if everything's not fine? How many times have you had a heated argument with your spouse in the vehicle on the way to church to get out of the car, and almost it's almost as if you're ironing your face because of the rage, get the rage wrinkles out, get reapply, fix yourself, come in. How are you doing today? We are great. When what you want to say is we were shouting at each other 15 seconds ago. You would think that church would be the place where we can all feel like we're okay saying we were arguing. Rachel and I one time on a, on a uh, youth trip when I, we were youth ministers, we'd been married a year and a half. We are getting all the good fights out early, right? And so we, I can't even remember what we were discussing, but we were off by ourselves. The youth group was with the chaperones. We were off by ourselves discussing it. And we'd, uh, we, we were walking back to the youth group, and a kid came up and goes like, what were y'all doing? And I said, we were fighting. Sometimes that's what adults do. It's not always healthy, but it can be. But we were arguing. Now, the reason I said that was because Rachel and I decided, once we kind of had calmed down and, um, and I had said I was sorry, uh, <laughs> once that had happened, um, we, we had decided that, we was like, we've been out here, what are we going to tell the kids? And we had decided that we were going to tell them the truth. That to be authentic, to, to be, to let them know that, People they respect get in arguments. We thought that was important. To let them know that people they respect get in arguments and still are able to love each other afterwards. We thought that was extremely important. So, we told them we were fighting. We we didn't tell them what about, but we told them. Because sometimes, and I think, I, actually I think all the time, the place where we should be the most transparent is here. It's in this place. 
Because what I'm wrestling with and what you're wrestling with at this very moment shouldn't keep us from loving each other, one. And secondly, we should feel very comfortable talking to each other and letting everybody know that we trust them. Because we're a community. Sometimes that just doesn't work out that way because we are scared to death that we might not, people will find out that we aren't quite what we've claimed we will be. Can I ease your fear and let you know that we all know you're not? You all know I'm not. I'm not what Jesus would have me to be all the time. And you aren't either. And I think that's church. Make a stamp, blot it in ink, stamp that sucker church because we are not what we claim to be. We are a group of people who claim Jesus together. Maybe you've been in this point. There's a scripture I want to look at today in John 20. And then we'll go backwards and go um, look at some more of John, too. It says, uh, afterward, this is after Jesus appeared to Thomas. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter told them, I'm going out to fish. And they all said, we'll go with you. So they went out. And got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. All right, so you know that moment right before you, you do the thing that you've always said, I'm going to not do that thing, but you do it again? Just that worst, like, I, I'm going to stop talking negatively about other people. And then, like, the opportunity presents itself, and man, you just dig right into their life. You think, oh, I did it again. Or maybe it's like five or six times before you realize you've done it five or six times yet again. That, that guilt you feel of, I am just a failure. Peter's feeling that right here. Jesus has been resurrected, but it's kind of been this off and on thing. Jesus shows up one week. It's another week before they see him again. Now they haven't seen him. He's just, and Peter says, I'm, I'm going fishing. Because, you, you know, if, if a guy dies and then shows up and says, I'm not dead anymore, and then disappears and then shows up a week later and says, I'm not dead again still, and then he's not around anymore, there might be some of us who are questioning our own cognitive abilities, right? We're starting to think that we're crazy. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And he's at that spot where a lot of us are at times where we think, I... I, I do not have it all together, and I'm pretty sure the whole world knows. 
Because look what happened before. Go back to John 13, verse 36. So that, this is right in the middle of the final supper they're having together. Simon Peter asked Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus had already said, I'm going to go to a place and y'all aren't going to go with me. And he said, um, where am I going? You can't, you, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. I feel like this is a pretty good heads up. If I was Peter here, I'd say, he's just warning me that I, to do that, I'm not going to do that. I'll never do that, especially now that he told me I'm going to do it. I'm definitely not going to do it now. Look what happened. John 18 Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this, this is after, after Jesus has been arrested. Because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? Jesus, uh, she asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servant's officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, um, Simon Peter was standing there warming himself, so they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? You know... Didn't I see you cutting my cousin's ear off? I'm pretty sure when someone cuts my cousin's ear off, I usually remember what their face looks like. Rage, wrinkles, and all. Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster crowed. Okay, so you have failed... You knew you were going to fail deep down, and you have failed, and you know it. If you failed and you know it, clap your hands. There we go. Thank you. Yeah. We know that feeling of, I've, I have not come through on the things I was hoping to come through on, and I'm just, I am Failing. I just failed. It's this class I had in college. My freshman year. I worked really hard that first semester to lose my scholarship. And when you apply yourself, you can do almost anything. <laughs> and one of the classes that I worked really hard on that was just a... a a little two-credit two class called Italian Diction. It wasn't where you learn to speak or to, to understand Italian. It's where you learned to pronounce it properly. I hated that class. Oh, just we sat in a circle, and she would say, here's, here's how the letter E is pronounced in Italian. Eh. Benjamin, your turn, and I would say, eh, no, eh, no, 
how to say it like you're saying it. I think I'm, like I hear myself saying it the way you're saying it, but I'm not saying it the way you're saying it. Eh, no, next person. And I, how? You know, as a southern kid, I was probably going, hey, you know, and just didn't hear the difference. But she, eventually I just stopped going. Told you, applied myself. Just quit going. And toward the end, I was, I was facing the fact that I was going to lose my scholarship after one semester. And if I could just get the D in her class up to a C, I, I could keep it. And I went to the teacher's class. I don't even remember her name. But she, I went into her office and said, I have failed. I am so sorry. I'm losing my scholarship because of my failure in this class. And I, is there anything I can do to get the D from, to a C? And she said, yes, you could have come to class. Dead on right, right? I deserve every ounce of that. She is not the bad guy in this story. I am. And it was that moment I was like, oh, I have failed and I'm going to face the consequences. Oh, just horrible, horrible feeling to have failed and know you. People knew you were going to fail and you failed and you know it. Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter said, not a shot and 12 hours later had denied him three times you know exactly what peter feels like right now don't you and if you don't you will so they go fishing early in the morning jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realize that it was jesus he called out to them Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Actually, the Greek here um, means, do you have anything to eat? And he's just asking them if they've caught any fish for him to eat. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Okay, complete stranger. But when they did... They were, not, were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. Completely backwards. Don't do it that way. Usually take the garment off to jump in, not put it... Whatever, Peter. All right, so... He jumps in. He swims up to Jesus. The other disciples follow him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning, coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was a large, it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. All right. So say you and your mom, you and your dad, 
you and your brother or your sister, just someone you're close to. Say you failed them. Or maybe they failed you. The moment when everything has been reconciled is when y'all can all sit down and eat and talk about something other than your failure or their failure. There's something that is healing about a table. There is something that is beautiful about a meal. Shared. And now, if, if, you, if, you, if you have your Bible, those open to this passage, you'll see the, the heading underneath the Scripture says, uh, often we'll say, Peter reinstated. And we'll get to that Scripture next week, and I don't think that's what that, what's going on there. Because Jesus did not wait for Peter to be forgiven to feed him. He didn't say, here's some fish, everybody. Peter, you stay over there. I've got some questions for you. Three of them, in fact, and they're all the same one. And you're going to have to answer them properly or, or you don't get forgiven. No, you don't get to eat, Peter. The rest of us are going to have a meal. I would argue that it's the presence or the serving of food that signifies Jesus' forgiveness of Peter more than his answering of the question. That when Peter can come to Jesus and Jesus can break a piece of bread and hand it off to him or hand him a piece of fish and smile at him, that interaction it lets us know that we're okay. That we're on good terms, that we can now have a meal together. You know that's what we do every single week. We come to the table of God. We come to the table of God and eat with our King. This week you may, you may have failed. But can you come to the table as a failure? This week you may have sinned, but can you come to the table as a sinner? Can you eat with the Savior as a sinner? I would argue yes. Because in the end, it's not our own merit, it's not what we've done, it's not what we've accomplished that allows us to eat with the King every Sunday, but it is what He accomplished for us and through us. It's what He's done. He has done everything for us. And it is actually pretty arrogant of us to think that, oh, our sins are so great that we can't. Oh, you can. You can approach the King. You can approach the Savior. You can eat with Him. We do that every week. The Lord's Supper is not just about what Jesus did, but it is about what He is doing 
and allowing you to do. You get to eat with the king. You get to come to his table. And you get to partake. We're all sinners. We're all broken. We're all cynical, sarcastic, entitled, affluent sinners. We deny Jesus with our actions and with our voice and with our, the way we treat others every week. And every week, Jesus breaks the bread and allows us to eat with him. I think, I think that is grace upon grace. And what we find at the table is what we would find at the cross and what we find at the empty tomb and what we find at, at, at a, the side of a lake. The resurrected man cooking fish for his friends. We find grace. We find forgiveness. Maybe you've called him out this week. Maybe you have denied your Savior this week. But no sin is too big that grace can't cover it. Oh, Benjamin, you don't know my sin. You're right, I don't. But I know his grace. And your sin just won't hold up to his grace. It can't compete. The grace of God through Jesus Christ can forgive, will forgive anything. And will redeem anything. So let your week be informed by the grace of God. Let the fact that we got to eat with the resurrected king. May you know that that means you are forgiven. That doesn't just say anything about, say something about what he did. It says a lot about what he's doing and what he will do this week. For you and in you and through you, he can do it. Don't get arrogant and start thinking your sins are the best, right? That your sins are bigger than everybody else's and that, oh, well, I don't know what the church could do with me. And just let you in. If the church doesn't do it, the Savior does. And we will all admit that we need the grace of the resurrected Savior. We need to eat with Him.
You know, the word hypocrite is thrown around at church, for churches a lot. And the hypocrite, people don't call us sinners. They call us hypocrites. You know, if they called us sinners, that'd be accurate. And sometimes when they call us hypocrites, it's pretty accurate. But the, the thing that makes a sinner a hypocrite is when the sinner acts like he ain't got none of the sin. Then you've graduated to hypocrite. So when people call us hypocrites, what they're saying is not you guys, once you go to church, you stop sinning. What they're saying is you go to church and you act like you've got nothing. You worship the God who has saving grace and you act as though you don't have any you don't need any grace to be saved. See the problem with the hypocrite is not how they live, it's how it's what they proclaim about themselves. You ain't got it you do not have it all together. I don't know why I keep saying ain't. It's fun. I learned that word in Italian diction, actually. She'd say ain't and I'd say ain't and she said, You nailed it. But you have, you have been shown grace by God. Live like you've been shown grace by God. See, that should make us feel comfortable saying, yeah, I'm a sinner. Of course, yes. I don't have it all together, no. Sometimes going to church, claiming the grace of God, and then acting like you've got it all together is like getting on an elevator, hitting the eighth floor, and then telling the person in the elevator with you, these stairs are hard. Thank you for sticking with that analogy. It worked, didn't it? You're claiming to be doing something you're not. Something else is taking you up. And you're claiming you're working your way up. So let God's grace in. Let it be something that you celebrate. And let it be something that rules your decisions, your actions, and the way you treat other people. Because his grace is good. And it is bigger than your sin. Just the sheer fact that we get to eat, that we take of the communion, is evidence enough for me. If you need his grace this morning, if you want to stop claiming you're something that you're not, you need his grace this morning. Please come forward while we stand and sing. I know